Amen. Well, good morning. As we uh, get into our passage this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Uh, so if you feel comfortable with your own Bible or a Bible app on your phone, it uh, can also be found in your pew Bible starting on page uh, 1014 and through 1015. But today we continue our journey through this letter to the Galatians uh, that Paul has written in his great concern for what is happening among the church in Galatia. You see, he cares greatly for them and everything that is going on. And yet, the entire point of this letter is actually to encourage the Galatians to return to the gospel. So as much as Paul is trying to bring correction to the Galatians, he's also trying to encourage them to rem remember what it is that they believed at first, to re remember this gospel that they received. But, and along this way, along this journey, we keep asking ourselves the very question, how does the gospel teach us to live? What is the gospel calling each and every one of us to in our lives and in our walk with Christ? And we keep repeating it week after week, and I'm sure it is getting exhausting at this point to keep hearing it. But the primary idea of what the gospel is teaching us to remember is that it's God's work, not mine. God's work and not yours. God's work, not ours. That God did, did the work that justified us, sanctified us, and saved us. It's not on account of anything that we did for ourselves. But we keep saying it week after week because even in my daily walk, I have to be reminded that it is not my work. That it's not about what I do. It's not about the things that, that I accomplish that garner my justification, that solidify the relationship that I can have with Jesus Christ. In fact, for each and every one of us, it is all about the truth of the work that Jesus did on the cross, guaranteeing our righteousness. That, that we don't end up believing somewhere along the way that we can create our own righteousness within ourselves by doing good works. And so this past week, Paul re-challenged the Galatians again to see that there are Two religions in the world that are fighting for their heart. And in the same way, there are two religions fighting for ours. There is the religion of the world and the religion of relationship. That is a relationship with Christ. And in the religion of the world, we saw Paul pushing back about how it's so easy for us to create idols within our hearts how we create idols in our own image and how we want to follow them and how society and culture and the world around us tell us the idols that we should follow. And in embracing those idols, we make enemies of the truth. We take a stance and deny the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus came to give us. And instead of embracing it, we embrace embrace truths of the world, the truths of society, and the truths of culture through our own idol worship. But then the opposite thing that Paul brings to his letter to the Galatians is that it's about a relationship. The other religion competing for your heart is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That is a relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One in which calls us deeper into the knowledge and truth of the one gospel. Not a gospel of works, but a gospel of relationship. One that recognizes that he paid it all so that we don't have to simply because we cannot. And so today, as we turn to our passage in Galatians, chapter 4, 21 through 31, Paul is once again challenging the church in Galatia through the story of Abraham and Hagar and Sarah. He's really asking us, what covenant are you going to fall for? Is it going to be a covenant of works, or is it going to be a covenant of relationship? Are you going to be in one that is enslaved to the world, or are you going to be free from it in Christ Jesus? And so in the bulletin this morning, it says it's a gospel for us all is the title of this message. But the more that I think about what it is that we're going to be looking at today, it should really be called a gospel for the weary, a gospel for the weary. And so let us read our passage today from Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of the promise. But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, I ask that you, with the power of your Holy Spirit, would be present and among us this morning. God, as we read this word, this challenging word to us, as we hear these words and we wonder how do we respond to them, God, that you would make it clear and true. Because, Lord, even now in the presenting of this word, I feel the weariness in my own heart. But knowing that your gospel provides power and peace, I pray that you would be with me and with us for the hearing of the word this morning. And so, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in the Father and in the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. Amen. Well, as we get started and dive into this passage this morning, I first want to share with you my own experience with how I relate to this passage. And you see, what I'm about to tell you, I want to be cautious in how I present it, not to shame or confront anyone here that has maybe ever asked the question, but to share with you more so the underlying work that happens within my own heart when it comes up and the belief that I come to and the conclusion that I create within myself when I start to think about it, because it's not just a question that comes externally, it's a question that I wrestle with internally. You see, here is one of the realities of being a pastor of a church, is that oftentimes you get asked the question, as a single pastor, when are you going to find a wife? When are you going to get married? When are you going to start a family and have kids and raise them as a part of this body? There seems to honestly be a lot of pressure at times to answer this question, to have this question known and to, to seek and find and ask and wonder myself and wrestle with, well, am I and when am I going to find a wife and get married and start a family and have kids. And here's the reality. It's not just an, an external pressure that, that comes from people asking that question. There seems to be this overlying, like this meta-narrative of what it means to be a pastor in a church. Pastors are married. In fact, I can't think of one friend of mine that is in ministry that is not married, that does not have kids, and has not been so for 10 years. It's like they, they graduated, they immediately got married, and then started having little ones right after that. And so here I am at 32 years old, still asking myself the question, when am I going to get married? When am I going to have a wife? When am I going to start a family? When am I going to have kids? And there's this pressure to answer that question. There's this pressure that almost seems that in order to be a good minister, one has to be married. One has to have a family. That, that part of being a pastor means to have had children, to have a wife whom you are doing ministry with. And I have to be careful because all these external and internal pressures and things that I pursue end up being a way in which I will question the validity of the ministry to which I have been called. I have a friend that actually wrote an article for an uh, online um, kind of like Christian blog about this very topic, about the very question of does it make me a bad minister of the gospel to not be married? Why does it seem that there is this question that you have to be married to be a great pastor? In fact, there are so many mixed messages about being in ministry and the validity of your ministry and married marriage that there are even moments when I was going through maybe a job search process where there were applications that literally said, do not apply if you are not married. That, 
puts into question the entire validity of what it means to be a minister of the gospel. But as I think about that, I have to remind myself that that's not gospel. That the validity of what God has called me to do has nothing to do with whether or not I have a spouse. Now don't get me wrong, Proverbs 18.22 reminds me that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And God willing, that will still happen. But my ministry is not validated because of it. And yet I question sometimes because of the way that external and internal pressures and overarching narratives seem to think that one has to be married to be a pastor. Well, I say all that. I, I, I tell you that because I also have to ask the question to you. In your ministry, and let me be clear that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, all of us have a ministry to which we have been called. Every single one of us has a ministry of the gospel to share, whether it's within church or with to our neighbors or the communities or the places in which we work. All of us have been called to the ministry of the gospel. But the question that I have to ask you is, what is validating you as you feel in your ministry? What is it that you feel like you have to accomplish in order to feel valid? Is it a certain goal? Is it certain things that have to happen? Is it making sure that things go the way you want them to go? Or are you giving in to some unspoken rule that you feel is pressuring you to make certain decisions and choices? And that only when you fulfill those are you valid in what God has called you to in ministry of the gospel. You see, the truth is that each and every one of us is not free from feeling that there's something that we must accomplish to have our ministry in Christ Jesus validated. And that when we finally have received that validation, that somehow we've actually made it, that we've actually obtained everything that it is that we need and desire, that we have become good enough to feel as though we've earned our own salvation, that we've made a place for our own justification, and that we've been granted our own righteousness. Once we have met that validation accomplishment, we feel that we've done everything that we must do in order to get where we are going. But the problem is that eventually and inevitably, we all fail somewhere along the way and have to find something else that will validate us. There's always going to be a next thing, a next crusade, a next endeavor, a next ministry goal that we feel we have to do in order to feel that the ministry that we are accomplishing is valid. And so as we turn to our passage today, I want us to see how this actually plays out in the narrative of Abraham seeking a son through a promise by God through Sarah, but attempted by a work in Hagar. And so let us take a look at our passage again today. And so it opens up again by Paul asking the Galatians the question, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Again, Paul is confronting this idea that, that the law somehow is holding them to a belief and a standard by which they have to accomplish in order to be in relationship with Jesus, in order to actually fulfill this need of the gospel. 
Paul is confronting them, do you desire, do you really want to be under this law, this thing that is enslaving you, apart from relationship from God? He's asking them, do you really want legalism when God is offering you relationship? Because if you want legalism, let's see where that path leads. And so that's how he opens up today's passage for the Galatians. And so then he continues, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. I want us to really understand the context in which this passage is taking place, um, what the narrative that actually happened, because first and foremost, we need to understand that this is something that happened historically in the Old Testament. Paul is taking it out uh, as a, a, uh, an illusion, as, as something to be seen for what it is to live according to the gospel, but we also have to see it for what it is. That is, being able to see the allegory that is Paul is saying, one, Hagar, is enslaved and bound by the law. It's, it's showing us what it looks like when we choose works over gospel. And then Sarah is, is the other, on the other hand, is what it looks like when we allow God to be our God-given righteousness, our God-granted grace. One is the gospel and one is the anti-gospel. But in as much as we see it as allegory, we also have to see and understand the pain that was caused in Abraham's own pursuit of righteousness, in his own personal work. That is to say, understanding this story in the context is to recognize and realize that though Paul is using this as an allegory to display Hagar in a negative light, while Sarah was in a positive light, we also have to understand that what happened to Hagar was in and of itself wrong. She was an innocent victim of, Paul's, uh, of uh, Abraham's and Sarah's desire to work out their own blessedness, to work out their own righteousness. When God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a child, instead they tried to make it happen on their own accord by turning to Hagar. And that's something that we have to understand that in this process, in this pursuit, that along the way, if we are pursuing our own self-righteousness, that if we are going after our own thing to think that, is, that our own validity in ministry is what validates us, what causes us in these goals that we're trying to accomplish, what could ultimately happen in our pursuit of that own self-righteous work is that we run people over along the way. We hurt people along the way. We lose sight of the gospel along the way simply to pursue what we want. Simply to do what it is that we desire instead of actually seeing what it is that Christ is calling us to. And so in the story of Abraham and Hagar and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah ran over Hagar in their pursuit 
for their own blessedness when God was saying all along, I had a different way. I had a better way. And so as we keep that in mind, let us go forward as to what the allegory of the message is that Paul is saying. He said that one is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. And now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And so the allegory then plays like this. So we have Hagar, who is the slave to work, to pursuing your own righteousness, to going after that which God promised on your own terms. Abraham and Sarah pursued childbearing by using Hagar for that end. And so Hagar then becomes a representation of works righteousness. Of how when we try to validate ourselves and go after, ourselves, go after what God has promised on our own terms, we end up doing all the work in our own strength and forget that God had a better way. And so Paul says, and he relates this to the current Jerusalem, meaning that the Jews that are bound under the law, those that have chosen to use the law by which they validate their relationship and their religion to God, or we could be like Sarah, the one who God had always intended to be blessed by the grace of God, by the work of the Lord, that in her barrenness, which she looked completely hopeless to ever bear a child, that in her weakness as a woman, because in antiquity, a woman's worth was based in her ability to bear children. And so what looked weak to the world, God wanted to make strong. God wanted to use his ability to prove himself faithful, to prove that everything that we could do and pursue can be in him and not in our own desire and work. And so we see that God worked in Sarah. For she corresponds to the Jerusalem that is above, that is the Jerusalem that is in heaven from Christ Jesus. And how the work that he accomplished is the gospel reality for each and every one of us. And then he continues, for it is written, rejoice O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate, one will be more than those of the one who has a husband, or in my case, a wife. But here is the good news of the gospel as we read this text. We will get weary in the process as we try to validate ourselves. We will get weary in the process of trying to pursue our own self-righteous work, trying to accomplish our next ministry goal, trying to say these are the things that are right when God is saying something completely else. And so for each and every one of us, we are to be the barren one who does not bear. We are to be weak so that God can be made strong. 
The truth of the gospel is that in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our barrenness, we cry aloud to the Lord to see what it is that he wants to do. It is not so much about our desires and our work and us trying to validate ourselves so much it is allowing ourselves and our weakness to cry aloud to God, oh Lord, I am weak and I am barren and I cannot do this. Can you though? And so we, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. That is that the very promise given to Sarah and Abraham that they would bear a son Isaac not through any means according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 29, But just as at that time who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. And so we see then that for those of us that choose to be weak according to the world's eyes, will eventually be persecuted by that world. We'll be persecuted by those that that say that there is their way or the highway. But in Christian faith and in Christian ministry and followers of Jesus, it doesn't matter what anyone else says if it's their way or the highway when simply we can look and say, but it's God's way. And if we pursue God's way, then certainly we will see that those that want it their way will persecute us and yet when we turn to the scriptures and we look at the gospel and its truth in its full form, it doesn't matter if we are seeking our own self-validity as long as God in the gospel is being revealed. And so what does the scripture say? Verse 30, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. And so brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave but of the free woman. And so what does this mean for us as we finish this passage? Quite simply this. As we look to Jesus, let us be reminded that our validity toward the gospel and toward the kingdom isn't in our own self-appointed goals and, and, and accomplishments. It's not about the, the things that we have that make us look like we're good at what we do. It is simply that we give everything to God and allow him to work in us and through us. That we would be those that are validated simply because God said he would and he did. Not because we tried to earn it for ourselves. Because when we try to earn it for ourselves, we simply become frustrated when it doesn't go the way we wanted. We get frustrated because I'm still single. <laughs> and yet the Lord has a better plan, a better way, a better gospel that reveals truth in time. And so let us as a people, as a congregation, choose Christ. Choose relationship with him. Choose gospel ministry that in the weariness of trying to earn validity for ourselves, let us know that we can rest in our Savior. That if we had just been the one 
that never said, well, let me try to do it on my own as Abraham did, what would have happened then? And so let us as a church also reach out to those, our neighbors, sharing this same gospel truth that there is nothing they have to do. There's no accomplishment or goal to be a follower of Christ Jesus. It is simply to say, Jesus, I follow you. And so, Lord, let us together as one people know that any validity is because you are the valid one. Because Christ, you on the cross accomplished all the work. You paid for all our sin and granted us infinite mercy and grace. And so be with us this day, Lord, as we seek your face more and more. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.